welcome, mortals, to the Gates of Starter Quest, a podcast where we look at classic video games through the eyes of the newly damned. This is episode 5, where we bring doom to this podcast. I am your host, the ever-tormented Baron of Hell, Alessandro Crolla, alongside my satanic offering and the star of this podcast, the demonic Jen Hughes. <laughs> How are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. How about you? Really quite happy. I got some hard shell tacos, which I've been dying for for months, so I'm in a really good mood right now. Yeah, they were very good. Perfect mood to be in to talk about the madness that is Doom. I mean, they were hot, but not hot as hell. What have you been playing recently? I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Arceus. Still at the very endgame stages where, you know, I'm trying to find God. <laughs> That's not uh, like a euphemism, that's actually what you do in the game. I'm pretty sure I've been told you can catch God. As mad as that sounds, that is just the Pokemon universe in a nutshell. That you actually do catch the beings of time and space and you use them to try and capture God. Yeah, I have the beings of time and space. They're pretty good. I'm upping their stats a lot because they're gods. (laughs) This game really does make you feel like the chosen one. I know that it's because they keep saying it over and over again, mm-hmm. but you're kind of like great and amazing <laughs> all the time. I'm digging it. I'm very happy. So, Sandro, what have you been playing? I finished Horizon Forbidden West. It was incredibly mediocre. Can't say I like as much as the first one. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, she does have a bit of chosen one type energy as well. And sometimes, like, she comes across as being a bit arrogant. Aloy, I think her name is. The writing is a bit weak. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to see how the story ended, but by about the middle point of that game, I seriously stopped giving a fuck about all the side quests. Yeah, you're usually one who loves getting your platinum trophies on PlayStation. I do, I do. I'd go so far as to call you a bit of a trophy whore. You wouldn't be the first. (laughs) Another game that I finished and I completely forgot to bring up in our last episode was Unmetal. What was that one again? It's the... 2d sneaking game where you are playing this guy trying to escape a military base ah it is an homage to a certain game we may or may not be covering in the future we yes it's a massive homage to the metal gear franchise although not the solid series more its original metal gear games that came out on the nes in the west ah I didn't realise there were other Metal Gear games outside the Solid ones. Oh, when we get around to Metal Gear Solid, that's the third game of the franchise. And part of that game will be getting the whole backstory of the previous games. Ah, the ones that I didn't know existed until now. Yes. Right, fun. I also did pick up A Short Hike. Not to be confused with the short hikes we've been going on recently now the weather's nicer. No, not those. It's a game called A Short Hike. Yes. (laughs) Very kind of cutesy design. You play this little penguin crow thing. I'm going to tell you what bird it is. It's just a bird. A pen crow? Yes. Or a penguin? It's just this little fun little action adventure game. If you can get it cheap, I do recommend it. I think we should now get started with our subject of the episode. Doom. Indeed, yes. This is probably our first game since Secret of Monkey Island. That's more of a familiar name than a massive cultural touchstone. The Doom franchises kind of came back in the past six years. Yeah. But there was a long wilderness between Doom 3 and Doom Reboot. Ah, yeah, I was thinking that. Didn't the Doom Reboot come out in 2020? No, that was the sequel to the Doom Reboot. Ah, so Doom 2, 2. Yes. Yeah. 
I remember because Doom 2, 2 came out at the same time as Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yes, that is true. You've got one game where you're beating back these undead nightmares and then you stop that to go play Doom. <laughs> so are you saying then that Tom Nook is in fact sane? It would make sense. I don't think it's very fair. People give Tom Nook a bad rap. All things considered, in this capital's hellscape, take what nice wholesomeness you can get, really. Right, no, we're it not- could be much worse. Once he starts peddling Bitcoin, then I'll be on board. This isn't the podcast where we start favouring the capitalists. Fuck Elon Musk and fuck Tom Nook. Yeah, there was one point in the past where you said, oh no, we're not going to get political in this podcast. <laughs> and now you're just like, down with the bourgeoisie, moan the workers. I think you started that in our first episode when you brought up Mario seizing the means of production. <laughs> yeah, or Mickey true. Mouse, actually. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Doom, what do you know about this legendary PC game? Um, Virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. I know that you're in hell shooting a bunch of demons and monsters and stuff. You play like a guy with a big fucking gun. What's the guy's name? Doom guy. I mean, who names their Wayne Doom guy? We have became so aware that Jen says that in every episode so far. It was not intentional at all. I just clearly enjoy judging other people's parenting choices. <laughs> so you know Doom guy? I know of his works, yes. Is there anything special about him or why is Doom guy the protagonist of this game? Because uh, you're playing him and killing all the demons in hell? I really don't know. Maybe we'll find that out over time. Okay. When I play the game, I'll finally realise what there is about Doom Guy that makes him special. I also know that Doom is a first-person shooter. How would you describe a first-person shooter? A first-person shooter is a game where you shoot things from the first person. Okay. (laughs) A bit elaborate on that. What does that mean? What does that do? What does that play like? A shooter game is... A game where you shoot things. Yep, that's a good start. (laughs) It's, I mean, you're doing the shooting-y things, but you can't see the character you're playing as, but you can see through their eyes. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like, say, a first-person narration in a story. You can only see their perspective. You know, it's not like a third-person story where you get, it's a bit more omniscient. Mm Mm-hmm. You also get films and TV shows that work with this. So Peep Show does this thing where the camera switches between the perspectives of both the main characters as uh, they go through some very, very stressful antics. Yes. It's a very good show, but oh my God, it's stressful. I can't rewatch it. So you're shooting demons in hell in Doom. Yeah. You go down the different parts of hell deeper and deeper until... I'm assuming you get to the point where you actually fight Satan, possibly, and I don't know, Jimmy Carr. I'm just imagining. I'm sorry, Jimmy, but you kind of look very Satan-y and your laugh is very funny. Ha 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 ha! He does laugh like the dwarf in Twin Peaks. I mean, I can't throw stones considering what my laugh is like. Do you know much about the demons that you're killing in this game? Um, Jimmy Carr. (laughs) Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) Darren Brown. (laughs) And Hitler. (laughs) Okay, okay. wrong game for that one. That's a different game. Wait, Jimmy Carr's in Quake? 
<laughs> we are not going to see them in the actual release, but I will bet dollars to donuts that that is a mod that someone's made. Do you know who makes Doom? Um, Ed? Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know of Ed? Mostly Matt McMuscle's video on Daikatana. Okay. So if you know Daikatana, that means you'll probably know one of the creative minds behind Doom. So there's two Johns. Yeah. Oh, you know both of them. Yeah. What are the names? John Romero, who's mm-hmm. got the long hair, and John Carmack, the really geeky looking one. <laughs> I think he's ginger but i might be remembering wrong <laughs> what do you know about john carmack and john we'll start with john romero first what do you know about john romero i know that he later went on to create the studio that made deus ex yes he did do you remember the name of the studio um shit i've forgotten there's a lot of green that's all i remember i'm sorry john Okay, so why is Daikatana such a notable game then? Um, something about John Romero making you his bitch? <laughs> I don't remember. I think it might have been to do with being John Romero's bitch. He tried to implement this AI companion thing. And at the time, the technology just wasn't there. So the AI was rubbish. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if it was just the AI alone, it would be a weak game, but not a bad game. But it was that tech mixed with the advertising campaign you're talking about. He would have these full page ads saying, John Romero's going to make you his bitch. Die Katana. Great way to tell your game, John. Well done. He tried to have this rock star lifestyle as a game developer, but it didn't fucking work. Yeah, that is apparent now. One of the reasons I've heard said why it didn't work is because when he started his own company, he didn't have John Carmack anymore, who stayed with Id. On that subject, what do you know about John Carmack? One thing that really stuck with me about John Carmack, he said to the guy who wrote Doom that story in a game is like story in a porno. It's expected to be there, but it's not important. (laughs) Yep, that is John Carmack. Fucking ouch! I'm a writer, or I like to think I'm a writer, and I can tell you right now, hearing that from your employer, that your work doesn't matter? What a kick in the balls, seriously! Games were not the best vehicle for story, at least back then. The story was just justification for doing all the shit you were doing in the game. It's thinking about Mario and Sonic, how those games just gave you an instruction manual that just said, bad shit's happening, go fix bad shit. Yeah... Throughout the podcast, I have done a lot of analysing the narrative of video games. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting that there is a scholar, if you will, that has outright stated story in games isn't important. I personally refute that. I don't know if he refutes that now. Who knows? It's been a while, but we'll see. (laughs) For you, guy who wrote the story for Doom... I will find and appreciate what narrative you've managed to put in the game. Do you know what other games id Software is famous for? Uh, Quake, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfenstein 3D. Yes. With Mecha Hitler. Yes. He's <laughs> the shortest, stubbiest cyborg that anyone's ever seen. How do you know about Mecha Hitler? <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> I don't know. 
there's a Cards Against Humanity card that says Mecha Hitler. It's one of those things that's passed through the cultural grapevine. And also, it's a cyborg Hitler. Why? Why? Die, I like Schweinhund. Do you know much about the culture around Doom when it was released back in 1993? Um, well, it was the cool era. <laughs> Sorry. I think we established in our last episode that was definitely untrue. <laughs> totally rad, man. <laughs> okay, right. I'm assuming you got a lot of flack from very angry Christians because it takes place in hell and there's heavy metal music and they generally have a contempt for anything that's kind of cool and badass. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I don't know. How are you expecting to get on with this game? Um, I'm hoping it will be a bit easier than the games I've played, or at least something that's a bit more familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually played a first-person shooter before. I don't know what to expect of this. I'll be honest. One of the reasons why I chose Doom to be a very first first person shooter, part of it is because it is such a cultural touchstone in the lineage of the genre. Wolfenstein was the first FPS, so it's not even like their very first game that they've made in the style, but Doom was definitely the one that made the format popular. Oh yeah, pretty sure it was a smash hit. It was a massive, massive hit. Put John Romero on the map. I'll talk about this more in the second half of what ends up happening in the wake of Doom's release. However, one of the other reasons why I chose Doom is because it has a limitation that makes it a bit easier than modern first-person games. Right. You'll see this when you play it, but in Doom, you can't look up or down. Whenever you're shooting, all you can do is shoot left and right. That should make this game a little more approachable, I think. Yeah, I do remember you saying that. I don't know whether it was this or Wolfenstein 3D that is like a very, very easy mode. That's one actually my rules of gameplay. Rule one is that we'll be playing this game on the easiest mode. Yeah, because I'm a pussy. I'm sorry, guys. Don't apologise. This is the first game we've covered with a difficulty setting. So I want to make it clear right now that I have absolutely no issue playing games in the easiest setting. When I was a kid and learning games, I played on easy. And generally, you're better going with the easier mode, especially, I suppose, to familiarise yourself with the levels, at least at first. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of snobbery that goes into, oh, you're playing at an easy level, like, ooh, you're not a real gamer, which is, again, something we've talked about before. A very unfair thing to do to people. It's nonsense. I'm sorry, but if you need to play a game on easy to enjoy it, play the game on easy. Yeah. Play the games in a way that you find enjoyable. If you want to play it on the hardest difficulty to find it enjoyable, play it on the hardest difficulty. Rule two. This game allows you to save and load as openly as you like, so I have zero issues with save scumming. I mean, you've already got zero issues with save scumming, considering it's what I've needed to get through the past few games. Yep. So you're going to be in full control of that in this game. You can save and load whenever you like. I don't care. Ah, brilliant. Rule three. This game is broke up into four chapters. I'm only expecting you to complete the first two. Right. Push as far as you can. But as long as you beat those first two chapters, we'll easily have enough to have a conversation about it on the other end. As you can imagine with John Carmack's attitude to story, there isn't much of a narrative you have to worry about losing if we don't see the entire game. Having said that, I really do want to try and fight Darren Brown at the end. (laughs) I was determined to get to the death egg. I'm going to try and get to Satan. For you, guy who wrote Doom, I'm doing it for you. Or at least I'm going to try. 
Yes, in spite of John Carmack. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, John. <laughs> when it comes to Doom, I don't remember when I played it. My dad had it on the PlayStation. I remember that. Mm. And I have a very vivid memory of finding the game scary in places. So I played it. I'm no doubt in my mind I've played the game as a kid, but I didn't play it entirely and finish it until my adult years. I think you did have the reboot. You'll remember me playing the reboot of Doom, but I did play the original version a few years before. And I have also played a mod for this game called Brutal Doom. Brutal Doom? That game modernizes Doom a lot. It adds the ability to look up and down as well. It adds more abilities to your guns. And it adds the fucking best taunts that I've ever heard in a video game. All the voice clips are made by the guy who made the mod. And the mod was made by a teenager. Really? So all the taunts are just this kid who's going through puberty trying to sound tough. And it's fucking glorious. Doom guy will throw like a finger in front of his eyes that you can see in your viewpoint. And I'll just hear him going, Fuck yourself! <laughs> it's fucking incredible. Fuck you, asshole! Do you know how first-person shooter games are traditionally played? On console? Not really, no. A lot of the first-person shooter games that I've been exposed to have been with a controller, to be fair. True. They're on consoles, do not get me wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think it's always been considered that they're more suited to a mouse and keyboard. Really? Do you know what the term WASD means? W-A-S-D. Is it not like a mo- the, the keys for moving? Yes. I've been watching a whole bunch of Joss Strife Hayes, who talks a lot about MMORPGs, and he uses that term a lot. Yeah. When this game first came out, it was controlled through the arrows as well as your mouse. However, it became a convention later on to allow you to use WASD on your keyboard, because then it opens up your ability to use more buttons. You can hit the space bar, you can hit E, you can hit Q, you can hit Shift, you can hit Control. Right. So that way you can just keep your hand on one half of the keyboard and the other hand on the mouse and be able to use all these abilities. Right, okay. That's how I want us to play the game, because if this podcast goes on, I want to play more and more complex FPS games, and I think it's important that we put in the legwork now to learning that system. See, before we started recording and before you said that, I was expecting to be sitting in the couch with a controller. No, we're going to be in my office, sitting in front of my PC, playing the way that God intended. Yes, playing a game in hell just as God intended. (laughs) Having said that, if Doom Guy is going down to hell and killing all the demons, he's probably more an agent of God, considering <laughs> the, uh, the whole thing's very confusing. We're not going to get into religion, but hey-ho, I felt like saying it. It's a good observation. We'll see how that pans out in a second half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have your Bible. Yes. And you have your holy water. Praise be. Are you ready to go and exercise the demons of hell? Hallelujah. All right, let's get started. Welcome back. We managed to get through this game in three weeks, which is not too bad a turnaround for this one. Now, I have to be honest with you listeners, our plan was always to do Doom quite early in this podcast, given its historical significance in the whole landscape of first-person shooters. However, this was always the episode I was most terrified of doing. 
in all the years that I've known Jen, I know one thing about her is that she doesn't like going violence. No. I remember quite early on in our relationship, I showed you Robocop with the promise that it was a satire and it was funny and you didn't take well to it. I remember that. Because of that, I always expected you to have a hard time with this game. I knew it was just not going to be your cup of tea and it's why I set the minimum to play as the end of episode two, even though that's technically halfway through the game we were playing. I just wanted to set the bar so low just to take that pressure off you. Now, be honest with me. How did you get on with Doom? I... I fucking loved it. (laughs) I did not see that one coming. No, neither did I. (laughs) I really thought you would have a bad reaction to this game. I probably should, not should have, but it would have been consistent with my character for me to have a bad reaction to it. But I did quite enjoy this game. I was really quite surprised that you took to this incredibly well. Yeah, I think it was the old, oh my god, I actually did it type thing that just got me right through the game. (laughs) I killed all these monsters! I made it alive! Oh my god! See, the problem with my thinking of earlier is I completely forgot that Doom is one of the funnest games ever made. Yeah. (laughs) I take that part for granted. As someone who's played a shit ton of first-person shooters, I forget how fun Doom is. Yeah. Shooting up monsters and chainsawing them and punching them until they die. Finding that fun, I don't know what kind of person that makes me, but I'll save all that psychoanalysis for later on, I think. Okay, okay. How did you get on with playing this game on a mouse and keyboard? Um, pretty well. I did need a wrist strap after a good bit, though. <laughs> I do a lot of typing and writing notes as part of being a writer. So I'm at much higher risk of getting carpal tunnel syndrome. So this game seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back because muscles in my hands were just so, so, so sore. That was after our first session though and you were holding the mouse in quite an appalling way. Yeah, how appalling. Give the listeners an idea. The way you're supposed to hold a mouse is you have your arm and your wrist straight. You kept angling your wrist and that's what gives you carpal tunnel. So we got you one of those carpal tunnel gloves just because it kept your hand straight. Yeah. It's very hard not to do that. You're right, you're right. I'm also very aware that in your day-to-day life, you don't really use a mouse much. Yeah, my laptop has got like a little mouse pad on it. Getting used to playing on a mouse is something we're going to have to start doing in some future episodes, especially Mm. when we get to real-time strategy games. Apart from that, playing Doom was really exhilarating. It was scary, for reasons I'll get into later, Mm -hmm. but I also felt like a total badass. (laughs) This game is meant to do that. Yeah, it does a very good job at making you feel like a fucking tank. Unstoppable on occasion. I had to humble myself when, remind myself that I am playing on the easiest setting. I found a great image on the R Doom subreddit that said, don't feel bad of playing this game on the easiest setting. Doom is meant to make you feel unstoppable. Yeah. It's very easy for someone like me, who's not a gamer, but involved in a gaming podcast, to have a little bit of imposter syndrome, but play on whatever level you need to play it at. They have difficulty settings for a reason. I 100% agree. The controls for a lot of PC games, it's WASD keys to move, and spacebar or the mouse to shoot, and whatever number key you've set each weapon at to change weapon. You can also do like a scroll of the mouse, Mm -hmm. but I hated that. So I think we get rid of that at some point. 
the good thing about a lot of PC games is that you can change up the controls to make it whatever's most comfortable for you. Yeah, I get a lot of weird looks when I tell people that my mouse has like additional buttons on the side, mm-hmm. which are called mouse four and mouse five. I get very stranger looks when I explain to people that I set my reload to mouse five, but it's just where I now expect to find that button. Yeah, you've got like your mouse as your gun button, so it makes sense if you want to toggle that. Mm-hmm. So I think the only thing we kind of really modded out was that we took the map button away from tab and put that into backspace. Because I kept hitting it by accident. Yeah, and it was just panic you in a fight. Especially, oh, we'll get to that boss fight after, but that was when it realised that I had to change up some of my keys because I was getting into a real flap. And we also made it so you couldn't quick select the pistol. Because you never use that bloody gun once you had a better option. Yeah, like you start off with a pistol, but then when you get the shotgun, you're never going to use the pistol again because it's not a very good gun. Mm-hmm. You get better weapons all throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Let's peel back and I'll fill you into the background in this game. Doom was released by id Software in 1993 on December 10th. A very significant day in gaming history, not just as the day of release for Doom, but the game came out one day after a very famous Senate hearing into video game violence that had started. Right, okay. So literally the day before Doom came out, senators were arguing about violent video games like Night Trap and Mortal Kombat. So, okay, Mortal Kombat I know is the gory street fighter, but what's Night Trap again? We've actually got an episode for Mortal Kombat planned soon. I'll happily talk about Night Trap when we're talking about Mortal Kombat, because it's not getting its own bloody episode. Really? Yeah, there's not much to the game. Ah, okay. So yeah, they were having that conversation about violent video games and the next day Doom comes out. Yeah, this ultra-violent, ultra-gory, heavy metal thing that you really don't want little Timmy to get his hands on. Yeah, the poster child for everything that's wrong about video games. Yeah. (laughs) It was released on MS-DOS, Microsoft's original operating system, even before they made Windows. Ah. Mostly used in IBM PCs at the time. IBM are the guys who made Deep Blue, the chess computer. There was one time in history when IBM was the biggest company in computing, and most of that was on the back of MS-DOS. Doom's very first launch was actually through the internet, where the first episode was put on the University of Wisconsin's FTP server. Oh, was it shareware? The first episode is shareware. Do you know what shareware is? Yeah, it's basically snippets of video games that are put up for free to share about. Yeah, it is the prototype of the demo. Yes. So you could download the first episode of Doom for free, play it all the way through, and then pay to get the rest of the game, which back then was just episodes two and three. Right. Episode four was released when they made The Ultimate Doom in 1995. Right. So did they make Ultimate Doom before or after they made the second Doom game? After. To kind of like tie them together? Tie them together and to update the graphics and update the engine. Mm. So yeah, this game, when it went up on the University of Wisconsin's file server, it clogged the university's download page. This game was hyped in its release. Mm -hmm. We talked about Wolfenstein in the first episode, but the fandom for Wolfenstein was fractional of what happened with doom doom was huge especially for its player v player mode which they called deathmatch and to this day that's still the term they use for a free-for-all fighting mode in a game ah that's where that comes from yes doom coined the term deathmatch right i get you 
you can imagine with a game that was free to install and had a deathmatch mode of how much it just infested workplace PCs. Wait, people were playing this at work? Yeah, very famously, like, IT managers had to learn how to block Doom from their servers just to stop losing man hours. Fuck. (laughs) A statistic I saw regularly was that in 1995, Doom was installed on more PCs than Windows 95. Seriously? Speaking of, when marketing Windows 95, Bill Gates paid for it to be ported to the new operating system in a version called Doom 95 that has an advert where Bill Gates goes into Doom and talks to you and like shoots monsters and stuff. We think the PC really is the entertainment platform for the future. Uh, we're going to have the best performance, the way to reach out uh, and do multiplayer games, lots of new peripherals, and the improvements just keep coming. Uh, our commitment is to make the tools, to make the platform better and yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't interrupt me. It was fucking weird. Yeah, I saw a little bit of it and I was thinking to myself, wait, Bill Gates was Doom Guy the entire time? Apparently so. He went from like dying in a space station, killing his way out of hell to funding a vaccination program for both the third and first world. I mean, what an arc. I feel like that's what Doom Guy would be doing if he was alive today. <laughs> I mean, he might be alive today. That's a whole other thing for modern games, so we're not getting into that. Ah, there's more lore that I've not known about. Clearly. Despite John Carmack's best effort to cut down the lore, there's still more lore. Speaking of Carmack and John Romero, a lot of my research for this game came from a book called The Masters of Doom. Fascinating book that talks about the history of Carmack, Romero and id Software. Mm -hmm. Definitely puts into context how the two of them were just the perfect team together and why separately they never had the success they had together with maybe an exception to Carmack with Quake 3 which became like a big esport game. Romero and Carmack actually formed over a little project related to a game we've already covered where they tried to create a PC port of Super Mario Bros. 3. Ah I didn't know that. Yeah Nintendo shot it down politely. They were just kind of establishing their exclusivity market. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to say, hey, you know this game that we've made for our console we've worked so hard on? Yeah, you can also just get that on your computer. You don't have to buy our console at all. Apparently, it was done politely, so they didn't really just shut down id completely. It was a, we're not interested in doing this, but if you ever work on another game, let us know. Mm -hmm. And they did. Speaking of things we've already spoke about in previous episodes, actually, one of the inspirations for Doom came from a round of Dungeons & Dragons. Ah. Where... The Ed's crew had to fight hopelessly in this dungeon that had been overrun by demons. That became an idea as to what happens in Doom, where it's this military base that got overrun by the demons. When originally designing Doom, they were trying to get their hands on the license to the Alien franchise. Ah, right. It was going to be a tie-in Alien game. They eventually decided that this would be a lot easier if it's an IP we control, so it didn't take that any further But there is an original version of this that was going to be an alien game. I've seen the first alien film and yes, it does look very hellish. Yeah, I think it's kind of more along the idea of aliens though when we start bringing in the space marines and multiple aliens. (laughs) Yeah. To talk about some other employees of note, I do feel a few words has to be said about Tom Hall. He was supposed to plan the story of the game and even penned a style guide called the Doom Bible. So this is what we were talking about earlier. The guy who wrote Doom, Tom Hall. 
having like done all this work and then for John Carmack to go, no, you're not putting all this in, it's too much. Yeah, Tom Hall is the one who got the story in a game is like story in a porno line. Yes. Said to him. You go through the Doom Bible and there's like characters, I'm just, I'm giving you a quick look over it. There's like all these like named characters who are supposed to be part of a selectable crew that all had their own backstory and all this lore to them that Carmack threw out immediately. And as they went more and more into designing the game, they just lopped more and more of his ideas out of it until it was just a bare bones experience. Damn. He got done a dirty. Yeah, for absolute sure. I think there's much to be said about keeping things concise and simple. But the idea of having a selectable crew with like multiple characters isn't a bad idea. You are right in saying that the simplicity of Doom is one of its biggest strengths. The story is fucking meaningless. You are there to kill demons. Yeah. I don't think they're wrong to say we don't need all these characters. It's still so insulting when you go to the creative lead and go, nah, we're not going to use any of your ideas now. Yeah, that is really rubbish. Don't feel too sorry for him though. After the shit he went through with Doom, he did leave Id and joined a new company and used the Doom Bible for the next game he worked on. But that's a story for another time. Ooh, so stay tuned then, folks. One other name I do want to quickly name drop is a little level designer in this game called American McGee. <gasps> right. I have wanted to play American McGee's Alice for the longest time, for years and years and years and years, just by hearing the soundtrack alone. Are we going to be able to get an episode on that? Please. Yes, we are absolutely doing that in a future episode. Like I said, he's not the biggest involvement in this game. He was just a level designer, but he will be coming up in future episodes that we cover. I am really, really excited. (laughs) Speaking of soundtracks, actually, I do think we have to talk about the composer for this game, Bobby Prince. Yeah, yeah. Formerly a performer in an R&B band, Bobby Prince went on to design the soundtrack to Doom with two types of songs. The high energy thrash metal tunes that John Romero was wanting for the game and deeply tense atmospheric tunes, which was more his idea. Mm-hmm. It's how you go from a tune like At Doom's Gate, which is the song that is used in the very first level. And it's this massive, high energy, ass kicking song. Yeah, really fast paced, loads of shredding and quick scales. It's all synthesizers that it's done from, but it sounds like an actual band that's playing it. It's supposed to sound like a thrash metal band playing it. Yeah, you really managed to get that across very well. And then compare that to something like Suspense which is this deep, foreboding, orchestrated tune. Oh my god, yeah. I'm just listening to it again. Get this visceral feeling of like back in that fucking level, trying not to get killed by things. Ah. <laughs> it makes you feel so tense and alert. Yes. That it, it does remind you that Doom is meant to have horror elements. It's a very scary game. It's absolutely petrifying. <laughs> And the music really does help with that. I will say there are some tunes that I do feel walk the line between the two. For example, the song from the boss fight in level one, Signs of Evil. Oh yeah, the one with the guitar. Yeah, it actually has this doom metal element to it, which I do have to point out is its own genre and has absolutely nothing to do with doom. But it has this real sense of grandeur to it that builds up what's going to be a very tense boss fight. Oh boy, it is a very tense boss fight. Yeah, in that Signs of Evil song, 
it really does feel like you're about to like face your fucking death. Bracing yourself for this onslaught of hellish demony stuff. It's a really, really good soundtrack. There's a brilliant video from Uncanny X on YouTube which goes into great detail about Bobby Prince's history and I recommend you go check it out if you want to learn more. 10 out of 10 would recommend. My favourite song in the soundtrack was Waltz of the Demons. Oh yeah, we had a great laugh at this one. Because it's so out of place. It is, it is, really is. We've talked about the soundtrack so far, it's all doom metal, thrash, atmospheric synths and all that jazz. And then just one of the levels, you get this lovely little fairy waltz. I've got this image of Doom Guy, this unstoppable roided up tank of a man, just skipping around hell like a fucking pixie, killing everything in sight with a mischievous look in his face. <laughs> That's one thing we didn't actually touch on. All through this game, the entire game's played in first person, hence first person shooter. So you don't really see Doom Guy other than the gun swaying in front of him. There is an icon on the screen of Doom Guy's face that reacts as things happen in the game. As you take damage, he gets more bloodied. As you get items, he kind of has these reactions. And when times where he's picked up a new gun, he has the absolute most preciously mischievous face. Like, you know, you pick up this <laughs> chainsaw or even better, the big fucking gun. You just get this like, <laughs> you know, that type of expression. Someone's going to get hurt with this one. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. It was one of the first things I noticed. Him with wee mischievous pixie grin and that music. Just as he's like swaying his gun, skipping around, killing things merrily. It's just so funny. <laughs> now let's do Tom Hall at Solid and talk about the story. Yes. There are some interesting narrative things in there. It's not completely absent of story. Right, I do want to go into what's in the manual, though. The story so far. You're a space marine, one of Earth's toughest, hardened in combat and trained for action. Three years ago, you assaulted a superior officer for ordering his soldiers to fire upon civilians. He and his body cast were shipped to Pearl Harbor while you were transported to Mars home of the Union Aerospace Corporation. So yeah, Doom is here on punishment because he punched his commanding officer. Fucking iconic. I know, I just, for being such a demon-murdering psychopath, he is just so lovely. You do what you gotta do to survive, I suppose. The USC is a multi-planetary conglomerate with radioactive waste facilities on Mars and its two moons, Phobos and Deimos. With no action for 50 million miles, your days consisted of sucking dust and watching restricted flicks in the rec room. So, restricted flicks? Yeah, porn. He was watching porn at work? Yes. Damn. That's so unprofessional. The massacring demons in a base is one thing, but watching porn at work? Fucking reprehensible. Watching it for the story, I bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only watching it for the story. <laughs> <laughs> for the last four years, the military, UAC's biggest supplier has used the remote facilities on Phobos and Deimos to conduct various secret projects, including research on interdimensional space travel. Ooh. So far, they've been able to open gateways between Phobos and Deimos, throwing a few gadgets into one and watching them come out the other. Recently, however, the gateways have grown dangerously unstable. The military, volunteers entering them, have either disappeared or been stricken with a strange form of insanity. Volunteers? 
Yeah, volunteers is in quotation marks. Yeah, I think it was the way you said that made it seem that way, yeah. Babbling vulgarities, bludgeoning anyone that breathes, and finally suffering an untimely death of full body explosion. So they become so evil and mad that they explode. They're so full of demon they explode. Yeah. <laughs> Matching heads with torsos to send home to the folks became a full-time job. I mean, I guess it's more interesting than watching porn in the rec room. Yeah, true. Although it does depend what kind of porn you're watching, I suppose. <laughs> Latest military reports state that the research is suffering a small setback, but everything is under control. A few hours ago, Mars received a garbled message from Phobos. We require immediate military support. Something fragging evil is coming out of the gateways. Computer systems have gone berserk. The rest was incoherent. Soon afterwards, Deimos simply vanished from the sky. Since then, attempts to establish contact with either moon has been unsuccessful. You and your buddies, the only combat troop for 50 million miles, were sent up to Phobos. You were ordered to secure the perimeter of the base, while the rest of the team went inside. For several hours, your radio picked up the sounds of combat. Guns firing, men yelling orders, screams, bones cracking. Then finally, silence. Seems your buddies are dead. It's up to you. Things aren't looking too good. You'll never navigate off this planet on your own. Plus, all the heavy weapons have been taken by the assault team, leaving you with only a pistol. If you could get your hands around a plasma rifle or a shotgun, you could take down a few on your way out. Whatever killed your buddies deserves a couple of pellets in the forehead. Securing your helmet, you exit the landing pod. Hopefully, you find more substantial firepower somewhere in the station. As you walk through the main entrance of the base, you hear animal-like growls echoing throughout the distant corridors. They know you're here. There's no turning back now. Ooh. So Doomguy actually does have friends. He did have friends. (laughs) (laughs) They are now probably demon meat. Probably. I don't think you caught this, but as you go through, especially the Phobos base, there's a lot of random green corpses around. Yeah, I know. It took me far too long to notice that. Those are the corpses of your dead comrades. Wow. See, I kind of thought so, but there was also another part of me that's doing the map pack game theory thing where this is all purgatory and the bodies are just alternate versions of you. I didn't know that there was a story in the instruction booklet. I never do tell these stories beforehand. I wonder if I just start doing that. No, no, but it's like, it's fun to hear them, you know, here's what the story actually was after, you know, all the analysis I've done of it. (laughs) Okay, so that's what your lead in is for episode one. Knee deep in the dead. Very apt. Yeah. I don't want to go through every level bit by bit. So we're just going to talk about the levels through broad strokes. Yes. We talked about this in the first half, that I'm fine with you playing the game on the easiest difficulty. Yeah, I mean, you'd kind of have to be. However, the name isn't easy difficulty, is it? No. So the difficulty settings are too young to die, hey, not too rough, hurt me plenty, ultraviolence, and nightmare. Yeah, sounds like my sex life, pretty much. (laughs) This is a joke that was kind of done a little better in Wolfenstein 3D, where the difficulties went from the hardest of I am death incarnate down to bring him on, don't hurt me, and can I play daddy? This comes with little kind of icons of BJ Blaskowitz. 
which go from having this very demonic, evil-looking face for the hardest difficulty to the easiest being BJ wearing a bonnet and sucking on a dummy. Earlier joke still applies. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 1 is really just getting you to kind of grips with how this game operates. You start off in the full boss base. Mm-hmm. With a pistol. With a pistol. At this point, I didn't know that the thing was set in space. I thought it was all in hell. No, no, you start on a space base. It already looks kind of hellish. Mm-hmm. I was close enough. With the first episode, you do get to grips with some of the early weapons and some of the early enemies. Yeah. You start with a pistol, which is just your... Rubbish. Gun. Yeah, your rubbish kind of last resort gun. Or I guess first resort in this case, but never mind. Quickly, though, you get it replaced with a shotgun. Which is great. Yeah, I think the shotgun was your gun of choice. Jumping around a corner and being surprised by an enemy is quickly responded with with a shotgun blast to the face. Yeah, with your more humanoid enemies, one shotgun bullet or two takes them down. Yes. Later in this episode, you also got your hands on the chain gun. Which is great. It's kind of like a machine gun, like a Gatling gun. Yeah, so if you've got like your bigger enemies that take quite a few shotgun shots, don't worry, your Gatling gun's got you covered. You just fire a whole bunch of bullets right into its face and it's down. It chews through pistol ammo like nobody's business. But like you're not exactly going to use your pistol anyway. True. And you also get your hands on the rocket launcher in the first episode. Oh, I love the rocket launcher. It took you a while to get your head around it. Yeah, for the rocket launcher, it sounds obvious. Don't fire at things that are really close to you. Yeah, it's the only gun that has blowback. Yeah, if you use it like right up close to something, which is very tempting to do sometimes if you're in a flap, Mm -hmm. you will end up getting a lot of damage. It's very satisfying though. You've got a whole cluster of enemies like really far ahead of you. You just fire the rocket launcher at them, just watch them all blow up into smithereens. Yeah, whenever you kill enemies in this game, they either turn into messy corpses on the floor or they blow into giblets. <laughs> Another term that this game definitely championed was jibbing. What's that? It's the concept of when you kill an enemy that the corpse stays around. That wasn't common in games at the time. Yeah, it makes you think about what you've done. Got this dead thing lying on the floor and that was your fault. You did that. Because the levels are so maze-like, it's actually a great way of remembering where you've been is going like, look at all these corpses, I've been to this room before. Yeah, I found that very quickly. The first episode also gets you quite acquainted with some of the low-level demons of hell. You've got the two types of zombies, the riflemen and the shotgunmen. Mm-hmm. They look very humanoid and they just shoot you with guns. Yeah. Also, they all grunt like cavemen. <laughs> Whatever disease they've been put through has done something to their brains. Yeah, these are the type of zombies that can use guns. Can't speak, can't really know where they are or anything, but, you know, still adept at using a gun. Yeah, yeah. Proper zombies of the US military, for sure. Yeah. You also get acquainted with the imps. What are the imps? They are these giant brown guys that throw fireballs at you. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're like other kinds of zombies. They look like zombies anyway. They look like zombies. Very humanoid looking. Zombies and imps are probably the two most common enemy in the game. Then you get acquainted with the demons. These big pink monsters that just charge at you the minute they see you. While zombies and imps can shoot you at a distance, they can only hit you at close range. So they just beeline it straight at you. They're a great example of why you can't use the rocket launcher for everything. Yeah, as tempting as it is. They also get quite commonly called pinkies. Why would that be, Sandro? Because they're giant pink monsters. 
<laughs> yeah. If you've seen them, it's kind of apparent. There are another version of pinkies or demons where they are invisible. They're called specters. So there's pinkies and not so pinkies. Yeah, usually you can sometimes just see a glimmer of them. But for the most time, you only realise there's one in the room when they're chewing on your face. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like Jan from HR suddenly approaches you to talk about her fucking cat or her grandchildren. And you just shoot him back, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy, can you come back later? <laughs> no. I don't give a shit about your cat! Bang! <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that really adds to the stress of the game is that you can hear the monsters a lot of the time before you see them. Yeah, they've all got their own individual noises. Which, I mean, I didn't learn to distinguish them. All I knew is that, what's that? There's something nearby. You don't really, distinguish them is kind of a bit of a talent, but the one thing that does kind of stand out when you hear an unfamiliar noise, it just makes you feel a pit in your stomach. You're like, what the fuck is that thing? Yeah, when you think you've killed everything, there's another monster sound. It's just there. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's there. It, and I was kind of to look about, think, where is it? Where is it? And then there wasn't anything. Sometimes they're just hiding in secrets that you never opened. Ah. Yeah, another thing about this game is that there's secret places where you can get loads of items. Yeah, all through the levels, there's walls with the wrong textures or hidden buttons that you press will make a wall open up. And when you find them, you usually get items as a reward. So like health and ammo and bonuses and things like that. And armour, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that usually guides you to them is hearing those monster noises. Mm. My first secret that I found was in like level three. It was because there was this big blue heat thing, which I thought was the ship's AI at first. Yeah, it's this kind of blue sphere that's got a face on it. Yeah, there's a few mad sphere things and they are power-up items. With the monsters, I was going in completely blind. I hadn't read anything about the space base. So I was quite surprised that the first chapter is not in hell. It is in the Phobos base. Yeah, you don't go to hell in the whole of the first chapter. Hell light. Mm -hmm. That's basically what this Phobos base is, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier with the monsters overrunning the place. It's just this hopeless amount of demons that you have to kind of kick off the base just one bullet at a time. Yeah, it does kind of have this like strange Lovecraftian feel to it. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know how the imps and the zombies and everything got the way they were. You don't know like what infected the base. Where did these things come from? Could you become one of those things? Are you already one of those things? The fact that they hate you would suggest otherwise. Maybe you're just not imp enough for the imps. Maybe you breathe too much fire and they've just decided that they're jealous of you. I don't know. <laughs> so there was a point in the game really early on where I thought, hang on, what if all the enemies you're facing are the normal ones and you're the bad guy? I'm just imagining that like the monsters are just your colleagues at the space station begging you for mercy as you massacre everyone in sight. Fuck you, Emil. I'm not going to give you my lunch money. I don't care how strong your Pokemon are. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> like, you are the gun-wielding psycho, you know? <laughs> uh, those ones are going to come back to bite you when we do our legacy of doom. Oh. Anyway. Oh, okay. It's a very interesting theory as to what this mental state of Doom guy actually is, because you don't know him. I'm willing to take this game at face value and just say that it is one soldier killing demons they invade his home base. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. One other thing I have to talk about in episode one before we come off it. In map four, there's this room you go into. It's got these walls that make this pseudo maze, except none of the points go anywhere. And as you find something, the walls all come down, reveal the enemies, and it has this symbol on the ground that almost looks like a swastika, except for these little ridges that hang off some of the branches. Oh, yeah, the swastika room. Yes. The reason for that shape is that that originally was a swastika. It was intended to be a reference to Wolfenstein, which is all about killing Nazis. However, with some of the backlash this game got into, and trust me, we'll talk about the backlash, one of the things they had to concede was that having a giant Nazi symbol isn't the image they wanted for the game. So, hang on. The people on the faux boss base, you could potentially be working for space Nazis. Does that mean the demons are like anti-fascists for like taking down the space Nazi base? <laughs> I'm moving on from there. I'm moving on. Are we the baddies? <laughs> what is it with us in skulls? Throughout the game for solving all the mazes and getting to the exit, which is, you know, your thing. You want to get to the exit. You start off with different coloured key cards. And when you're in hell, those change to skulls. Because it's hell. Yeah, that's one way that the game spaces out a level, is that there'll be these doors that are locked and you have to get the right key card or skull to open the door. So a lot of the level is just searching through rooms going, where the fuck is the yellow key card? Yeah, the security in this place is pretty weird. You can only get out if you've got a red, blue and yellow card and they're all at different points in the base, which would be pretty good. But it's undermined by the fact that they've just put them in really inconvenient stupid places just randomly about the floor yeah and for some reason you don't work from map to map yeah you can't like there's like different cards for different things you can't just use your your key card which is yours because you have access to the space no because clearly the supervisor has to carry a chain with about 20 blue key cards is it this one no is it this one no is it this one no <laughs> i just feel sorry for the demon security guards that's is it this skull no is it this skull no is it this skull no <laughs> Getting to the end of the chapter, though, you do come across your very first boss in the game, the Baron of Hell. This giant man-bear-pig-looking motherfucker. <laughs> I think it is supposed to be a satyr, but you do fight two of these at the end of the first level. Oh my god. It terrified you at first. Yeah, because why wouldn't it? You fight in this room that's got two chambers in the middle that the Barons of Hell come out of, and the room is in the shape of a star. I think what terrified you the most is that until now, you hadn't mastered the art of strafing. So explain to our dear listener what strafing is. In a first-person shooter game, when you're using WASD to move, W is forward, S is back, A makes you walk left, and D makes you walk right. You're still facing forward because moving the mouse is what turns you around. You just strafe left and you strafe right. In Doom, strafing is the art of killing things while walking left or walking right. Because a lot of the enemies in Doom will just shoot at you, but the bullets take a bit of time to reach you. So if you're walking left while shooting, they can't hit you as long as you don't try to like go left and then go back right. You tried to fight this boss once and you didn't land it. So before you tried again, you did spend some time learning how to strafe. Yeah. It did pay off. Because I think after that, you went back into that boss fight and you killed them. It was very, very frustrating. One of my first attempts, my carpal tunnel was getting really, really bad, so I had to stop. Mm -hmm. Plus um, anxiety. That was another thing. (laughs) 
But the good thing about strafing is that your big bad demon boys, they can only shoot forwards. The projectiles they shoot don't follow you. So yeah, strafing is, it's an art I'm still mastering. You're getting not too bad at it. It definitely paid off in the last chapter, but we'll get there. And then after this boss fight, I miraculously beat those two. And I th- I'm pretty sure I screamed the whole way. You fight stairs and you go up the stairs and you're in a dark room and then you're surrounded by a whole lot of enemies. You try and kill them all, but then you die. But it's the end of the level. That was a plot point. You were supposed to die. Yeah, you get to the end of the chapter, you get in this room and you get flanked on all sides by enemies that just turn you to paste. It puts you right in that situation where you feel like you have to try and fight your way out, but you can't. Yeah, it's a supposed to lose fight. You're supposed to die at this point because this is going to be what sends you to hell. Yeah. You also get text dialogue at the end of the chapter, which kind of sets you up on the story for the next part of the game. Once you beat the big badasses and clean out the moon base, you're supposed to win, aren't you? Aren't you? Where's your fat reward and ticket home? What the hell is this? It's not supposed to end this way. It stinks like rotten meat, but looks like the lost Deimos base. Looks like you're stuck in the shores of hell, and the only way is through. To continue the Doom experience, play The Shows of Hell and its amazing sequel, Inferno. One other thing that kind of scared me about my psyche was I kind of low-key relished the fact that I was going to hell Mm -hmm. and would have to fight my way out of hell. Mm -hmm. That was added to kind of set you up for the next chapters. However, there's a lot of people who think that is the ending to Doom. Yeah, because like you've died at the end. It makes sense that your death is the end, surely. And when people got the shareware version of Doom, it only came with episode one. A lot of PC sellers at the time would ship PCs with Doom installed on it as an example of PC gaming. So a lot of people would come with this version of Doom pre-installed, would play through it, get to the end of that chapter and go, ha, that's a very fun game, and stop playing it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that it was only just chapter one of a three-part game. So there's a lot of people who got to the end of that, thought they completed Doom and never bought Doom. It's why when it came in for doing Doom 2, there's no shareware version. Yeah, learning from their past mistakes. Yes. On to episode 2. The Shores of Hell. Now we're in the Deimos base, which needs to be twinned with hell. This is where we're seeing bigger and badder demons. Among all the demons we've already seen so far, two further types of demons show up in this episode. The Lost Souls, which are these small skull things that fire right at you as soon as they see you. Yeah. Pain in the arse, little mosquito kind of enemies. Uh, mosquito? Are you sure mosquito would be the right term to use for those? More like fucking hawk? It's not like a light enemy that just needs one shotgun bullet. You have to fire fucking bullets at them like nobody's business. And then there's the caco demons. <laughs> caco demons? Caco demons. Oh, all right, okay. These are these giant meatball looking motherfuckers with a big eye and a mouth that just fire death balls at you. The spicy meatball. <laughs> Very spicy meatball for sure. <laughs> An absolute pain in the arse. This is the enemy of the game that pisses me off the most. Because they can fly, they can come at you from any direction. And they just decimate you if you don't see them coming. Yeah. You do get some other weapons to fight back though. This is your first time in the game you get your hands on a plasma rifle. It's this gun that shoots out an energy beam. One of the stronger weapons of the game, but it's very much saved for emergencies. Great for boss fights. Oh, amazing for boss fights. You also get your hands on the chainsaw in this episode. <laughs> Just a replacement for your melee weapon for whenever you're out of ammo. You get the chainsaw. 
it's very cathartic to use especially when you get them in like a small room with zombies and you just saw through them like nobody's business in episode two we've moved from not in hell to in hell hell looks pretty much the same as where we once were this is a blending of the two you are now in the deimos base which is still a uac facility but you are getting a lot more hellish elements this is the first time in the game we start seeing those skull key cards we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. the chapter is called on the shores of hell so the idea is you getting deeper and deeper into hell yeah it's just the shores it's not the ocean yeah i realized that wait I'm supposed to try and escape hell. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about hell is that it's the end. That's it. When you die, you stay there. That's your eternity. Forever. Mm-hmm. But like, in this game, there's a chance for you to escape. Oh, wait till we get the God of War. <laughs> Kratos has installed a revolving fucking door on hell. <laughs> so I just thought to myself, is this just Doomguy's coma dream? I'm just imagining him waking up at the end of the game in his bed or something, surrounded by his family and colleagues, like, Oh, Toto, I just had the strangest dream. And you were there, Ma. And you were there, Jen from HR. <laughs> I just can't take this for what it is. It's like, Doom Guy has gone to hell and just gone, All right, I can either sit here and wallow in torment and be damned for all eternity, or I can go on a murder spree. Hmm. Very proactive approach. Yes, very proactive. <laughs> Throughout the game, in hell, there are twitching corpses that have been impaled on pikes. And like I was just walking past them like it was an average Tuesday morning. Very scary, the person that this game turned me into. Yeah, I think one of the things that fucks you up the most is that there's this moving wall that's all these faces stretched flat. I think that terrified you the first time you saw it. Yeah, it actually did. Kind of like how child me saw the bowl of souls from that Scooby-Doo movie. I've not seen it now. Right, so for those like Sandro who don't know, there's the live action Scooby-Doo movie. The gang are possessed by like these evil alien ghost creatures and they keep the souls of the people their original bodies belong to in a big vat. Mm-hmm. Like Hercules or something. I think that's pretty much how child me reacted to that concept. That's the vibe that I got from that. It was absolutely horrendous. Getting to the end of this level and you get another boss, which is the cyber demon. It's this giant demon that can fire rockets from its hands. Oh, I think I might have come across another one of those later on in chapter four. We'll get to that one, but the first time you see it is in chapter two. And again, it was one of these ones that had to really practice your strafing. This thing fired such a barrage that the minute you hit a wall, you were dead. Yeah. Took you a few attempts, but you eventually got through it. Yeah, eventually. Kicking and screaming, as far as I remember. You get through the end of the episode, though, and we get another bit of lore from it. You've done it. The hideous cyber demon lord that ruled the lost Deimos moon base has been slain, and you are triumphant. But where are you? You clamber to the edge of the moon and look down to see the awful truth. Deimos floats above hell itself. You've never heard of anyone escaping from hell, but you'll make the bastard sorry that they ever heard of you. Quickly, you rappel down to the surface of hell. Now it's on to the final chapter of Doom, Inferno. Burn, baby, burn. Disco Inferno. Burn, baby, burn. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, so now we're on to episode three. This is now the point where you're properly no backsies in hell now. Yeah, full sugar in hell. It's all 
blood pools, skull keys, and even more demons. There's no new demons in episode 3, but the one thing you do find is a few of the barons of hell that boss from the first episode now start showing up as regular enemies. Fun times. We're not going to see any more new demons at this point, but we did find one new weapon, the BFG 9000. Not the big friendly giant 9000. Nope, the big fucking gun. I'm just imagining Roald Dahl's BFG going through hell with you, standing in a whole bunch of creatures and swiping them aside as you shoot things. That's not very friendly. It's not very friendly, but I mean, you know, death does strange things to people. (laughs) So by this point, I'm blinded by bloodlust, wishing to claw my way into completing this game. I can really feel myself become the rabid, violent psychopath that John Carmack wants me to be. Yep, yep. (laughs) I mean... I just got a big fucking gun. A little like, doom guy face just lights up. Nee, got a big fucking gun. Nee. We should explain the big fucking gun. How it works is that you fire a bullet and it makes this big plasma ball that the minute it touches everything wipes out everything in like a big radius. So it's like a rocket launcher and plasma gun combined and better. Yeah, combined and multiplied by about 9,000. <laughs> hey, yeah, 9,000. <laughs> But yeah, most of the stages were just mazes, especially in hell. They're not even pretending there's corridors around, it's just mazes. Because it's hell, they hate you, they're gonna make everything difficult for you. There's no cakewalk in the park with grandma. I have worked in offices that did feel like they were twinned with hell because there was just that labyrinthian. Yeah. (laughs) So it does make sense that if hell had architectures, they'd build it like a maze. I've got a feeling that the gang at Id thought about their workplaces don't worry duke nukem's coming to destroy them (laughs) right final boss of hell and the original final boss of doom the spider demon the spider demon really like horrifically lovecraftian as well it's another thing oh it's an ugly looking thing it's so ugly it's this giant brain that has a face at the front you get these fan artists who've drawn like lovecraftian versions of garfield gorefield Mm -hmm. it reminds me of that He's got the kind of guns that the zombie men have, that they just, the minute they fire them, they hit you. So he can hit you incredibly fast from very far distances. He's an absolute nightmare to fight. Usually. Usually? Yes. How did you get on with the spider demon? It was a bit too easy. Yeah, you hadn't used much of the BFG till now. And right at the start of the fight, you lobbed about three hits of the BFG into him. Yeah. It killed all the auxiliary demons around him quite quickly. And then it made the fight a little bit on the easy side for you. The BFG made things a bit too easy, actually. Considering how hard I found the first boss of the game, I was a bit disappointed. Mm -hmm. The plasma gun's really good in this case for getting rid of some of these henchmen. Aye. (laughs) I just jumped into the pit, held down that plasma gun for dear life until everything died. And you then were able to get out of hell. Our next tech stump comes up. The loathsome spider demon that masterminded the invasion of the moon bases and caused so much death has had its ass kicked for all time. A hidden doorway opens and you enter. You've proven too tough for hell to contain and now hell at last plays fair. You emerge from the door to see the green fields of earth home at last. Yay! You wonder what's been happening to earth while you are battling evil unleashed. It's good that no hellspawn could have came through the door with you. Dot, dot, dot. Essentially, you caused so much havoc in hell that you've been kicked out. Hell literally kicked me out for making a scene. Yes. Like, I was so 
awful and so rowdy and violent hell itself wanted rid of me. Sir, we politely ask you to leave. Sir, this is an Arby's. <laughs> but yeah, a whole bunch of fucking demons followed me out and now I've caused revelations. Yes, you have caused hell on earth. Well, looking forward to meeting the demon whore in Doom 2. This is where you now get a little kind of screen. It has this very quite happy-go-lucky music to this bit here. I love that song, it's so good. It's kind of playing underneath as it pans across from a green meadow to this giant imposing building that for some reason right at the front of the camera has a bunny's head that's been impaled on a spike. That's going to come relevant when we talk about the additional episode made for this. Episode 4. Now, we've just seen ostensibly the original ending to do. And again, I invited Jen to, if you wanted to, we could finish the episode here. But you did want to play through this additional episode, which is really just kind of created to be a challenge episode. There was no new assets made to build these levels. Yeah, basically Doom 1.5. It kind of bridges the story between Dooms 1 and Doom 2. I think it was also because the end boss was a bit anticlimactic. Yeah, you wanted something a bit more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. The big fucking gun is probably better for a higher difficulty, but in easy mode, you don't need it. On to episode four, Thy Flesh Consumed. You'll find a lot of the level names in this one are all taken from Bible verses. Oh, yeah, because Revelations, Hell on Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds about right. So, uh, yeah, you were saying it was a challenge episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, it's a lot harder when it gets to these levels. Like the first level, you've got to like jump across these different platforms. If you fall down it, which is very easy to do, you fall into a pit of lava and it tanks your health. You try to get up the stairs and the stairs take your health away as well. Trying to like get to one end of the stage to the other, you have to jump across a lot of places and stop your momentum. Imagine the trouble I had with Super Mario Bros. 3 when I started playing it at first. Times 10. Episode 4 does one of the greatest sins in first-person shooters and introduces platforming. First-person shooters are not the best system for platforming at this point. By the remake of Doom that came out a few years back, they've invented a double jump and the platforming is a lot more forgiving at that point. But yeah, trying to like gauge what distance you have and when to cut your momentum is really hard because you're really limited in what you can see. You can't look up or down. Mm -hmm. When you're moving, you hold shift to sprint. Yeah, you. I didn't try to get you to sprint too much, but this is one of the points where... I needed to sprint. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the platforming in episode four does also have to rely on you learning to sprint more. Yes. Which you weren't really needing to do much until now. And you kind of weren't really advised to? Only when you're crossing like a toxic path and you didn't have a radiation suit. Yeah. One thing that I do quite like is the fact that you're not actually told what's being done in the different bases. You go into the game, all you know is that it's a space base. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you've read the instruction booklets, you don't know that there have been experiments carried out. And even then, you don't know what's the nature of those experiments, really. The rest of the Doom games kind of really go into the fact that UAC are just one of these scientific organisations that just generally do evil. Yeah, just experimenting on people. Hey, they are space Nazis! Yeah, pretty much. We're going to see a lot more of this when we get around to doing Resident Evil with the Umbrella Corporation, but there's just sometimes these... There's something about video games where they just love a scientific company whose sole job is just to make abominations. Evildoer and sons. Yeah, pretty much. The company motto is, nothing could possibly go wrong. 
Who says we can't play God? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a better one. It's a much better one. With every episode, you have to refind your guns at the start of it. And one thing about episode four, you never found the BFG in this episode. Except I did. We did see it, but we couldn't reach it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually true. There was a weird kind of like maze you had to walk on that you couldn't solve. And then after you completed the level, I did try and go back and go, why do you actually do this? And realise that I couldn't solve it either. One of the Johns put that in there to fuck with you. By episode four, not only are the Barons of Hell more frequent, but you do come across a few of the cyber demons that are mini bosses in some of the maps where they just get to the end of the level and just, oh, look, one of these big fuckers just firing rockets at you. Fight back. That's where the strafing was really put to the test. Yeah, there was one that just basically kind of trapped you in a corner where you could go left and get out of its road and you could go right to pop out and get a few shots. Yeah, I had to work pretty hard with that. A lot of saves coming. A lot of saves coming to get through that one, but you eventually beat him. Eventually. You really needed to, like, you know, properly... It was like a sports movie or something. You know, you're having to be coached and, like, you know, psych me up. Like, the demons fear you, Jen. That's... You don't fear the demons. The demons fear you. That was something in episode seven. You get to this end room and there's enemies in every cavern of this room and you try to do it once or twice by sneaking in and get these things and just, you were getting just shot from all sides. You were getting quite intimidated when I told you. It was like, no, no, you don't walk into this room fearing them. You walk into this room with them fearing you. Children check under their beds for demons. Demons check under their beds for you. You are what scare these demons. You have to go in that room, zigzag around like a maniac and blow all of their heads off. I think like the amount of times I had to try and do it, the screams of primal rage as I was trying to like strafe about and move the gun around and just not succeeding. And eventually, eventually I managed it. And just this hellish bellow just erupted out my lungs. Like the whole way through. And when like the whole field, silent, nothing but dead bodies, there's just this moment. I think I my eye twitched or something like that. Soaked in blood. It was at that moment I just had to look at myself and say, what has become of me? I've become a monster. But it kind of has a similar thing at the end boss, but with an added spider demon. On to the last bit of this game, which does end with another fight with a spider demon. But this time it does have his entire pool party of friends, <laughs> including a few barons of hell. Woo, spring break! <laughs> it was a lot harder than the episode three fight with the spider demons because you didn't have the bfg but it still wasn't as much of a challenge you had fighting that spider demon a few maps back you told me that the spider demon can't follow me up all the little stairs and everything mm-hmm. so basically i just went up all the little stairs killed whoever was following me by the time i came out i massacred all his beer buddies so then it was just me and the spider demon I sank so much of the plasma rifle into this spider demon Mm -hmm. until it blew up. Just to know that I, a tiny 4 foot 11 Scottish woman who feels bad putting ant powder down on the floor, could literally defeat all the demons in hell was like, it was a moment. It was a moment for sure. If the ants were shooting missiles at you back, then you would probably not feel as bad about killing them. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, this vermin and advertent commas, they're going to make a home somewhere. We've taken everything else. Yeah, it's not like they're hurting you, whereas these demons of hell are definitely hurting you. They are definitely hurting me, yeah. 
So we get one final end message. The spider mastermind must have set forth its legions of hellspawn before your final confrontation with the terrible beast from hell. But you stepped forward and brought eternal damnation and suffering upon the horde, as a true hero would in the face of something so evil. Besides, someone had to pay for what happened to Daisy, your pet rabbit. <laughs> but now you see spread before you more potential pain and gibbitude as a nation of demons run amok among our cities. Next episode, Hell on Earth. <laughs> so Hell on Earth being the sequel. Yes, that's Doom 2. Yeah. The fact that the only thing that Doom Guy has got back home is his pet rabbit is yeah. very sad. Not his parents, his wee granny, a girlfriend or boyfriend, not a big fucking dog, a rabbit. No, and then quite like a dog, they killed his rabbit and now he's out for revenge. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It suggests like a level of tenderness though, like he's not trying to be a tough guy. He's a tender, caring guy in real life, but it's just the rabbit. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't like killing like hundreds of people in that Phobos or Deimos base. It was that fucking rabbit. That's what did it. I was trying to think how the John Wick movie would be if it was a rabbit that was killed instead of a dog. A dog seems more justified. If someone kills your dog, then you would go on a massive murder spree. Like, a rabbit, you'd think it'd be more frivolous. But actually, you know, they're furry babies too. I know, I know. But, I mean, we do come from a country where fur babies are more loved than actual babies. <laughs> At the end of the day, though, you have now beaten Doom. Yes. How do you feel? I feel like a changed woman. Look at what I've had to endure. The hardships, the demons, being covered in blood and crawling and bludgeoning my way out of hell. That would change someone, Sandro. Do you feel that Doom... I mean, it's hard to compare it to modern games because the violence now looks incredibly real. But do you think that Doom went too far with his violence? I think considering it's like hell, there's context there, right? It's not exactly going to be all like puppies and cushions. It's going to be pretty gnarly and very gory. You're in a situation where you're at war with demons of hell. Of course, it's going to be horrifically violent. Yeah, I mean, as much as this game came out the day after the Senate hearing, when it came round two of those Senate hearings, when they're actually forming the ESRB, Doom was definitely brought up at that point. Yes, um, I can understand that. It didn't just have video game violence, but the satanic elements of it as well didn't help matters. It definitely quoted a lot of controversy at the time. I can understand, like, I would not want our 10-year-old getting access to something that's that gory. Nowadays, it is so childish that I would have no problem with a 10-year-old playing it. But that's because the graphics don't look that realistic. You wouldn't say the same about, like, the modern Mortal Kombat or something like that. I don't know. It's going to be a test when I become a parent and find out where I draw the line. Because when I was 10, I loved these type of games. Yeah, like, you tend to not really think anything too much of it when you're that age. Think about all your Grimm's fairy tales and everything where children who didn't behave met some really gruesome ends. Mm. Where, like, the Wicked Queen in Snow White straight up has to dance in scalding hot metal shoes until she dies. Children love all that stuff! Exactly. <laughs> but I can understand why parents would be worried this would desensitise kids at a young age to that kind of violence. Make them think that, hmm, maybe this might be acceptable. It's a bit hard because one of the biggest controversies that Doom ever got was in the wake of the Columbine Massacre, where the two perpetrators were cited as being big fans of Doom. Yeah. 
We're to a point where one of them had made mods that are still available to this day that you can play. Ah, uh, yeah. So that analogy of someone going postal, yeah. Great take there, Jen. Well done. The thing is, though, I mean, it's, it was one of the elements, along with violent music and goth culture, that were just all wrapped up as like, this is what caused them to happen. Not the fact that they gravitated to things like video games, metal music, and goth culture because they were outcasts. That's the bigger element that these kids felt so detached from the world that they gravitated to these places that made them feel more connected. This is a recurring theme. So how little has changed that they're still blaming things like video games and music and things that they like to listen to as opposed to like their mental health problems that cause them to think like this, how easy it is to access guns over there. But it's so easy to blame video games and things like that instead of actually addressing the real problem. So I think that blaming Doom for causing that is completely unfair. There was a rumour kicking about for the longest time that they had recreated their high school as a map in Doom, but this has never been verified by anyone in the investigation. Yeah, yeah. It feels like an easy place to point the finger for something that at the time was incredibly unique and tragic. Yeah. As you can guess, Ed and the Doom franchise absolutely survived it, but it is something that's always kind of remembered as being part of Doom's legacy now, even though, worth pointing out, Doom came out six years earlier, and by this time we also had other violent games like Mortal Kombat and Postal. Which are much, much worse. Yeah, Postal being a game which is about a guy in a trench coat running around with a shotgun randomly killing people. But I mean, also Doom has Satan stuff in it. I think I said earlier that that's one of the reasons why so much controversy was because it was set in hell. I know, but at the end of the day, it's not like you're worshipping Satan. Exactly, you're killing the demons in hell. Surely they should like that. They're doing bad things to demons in hell. Exactly, we're killing demons. We're making hell less demified. It's... I understand, because we do have people listen to this that are very religious. Trivialising hell is a bit of a sore spot. Yeah. And I get that that's just a complete no for people. So with that sensitivity of that it's not for everyone, I still do feel that the backlash to Doom was quite heavy-handed, although admittedly it also made part of his marketing campaign. The game that's so violent that people don't want you to play it, that's just too tantalising. I remember like your mum and dad were telling us about when the nuns told them not to listen to The Crucifixion by Billy Connolly. Yes. Billy Connolly making a comedy skit about The Crucifixion. What did everyone in their school decide to do? Exactly. And it's the exact same thing with Doom. People trying to ban a game makes people want it more. Yeah. And it's the opposite of what they wanted to do. Yeah. We also kind of have to touch into the impact this had in the gaming scene because like i said this is not ed's first first person shooter but after this game came out everyone fell over themselves trying to make its version of doom companies like bungie and 3d realms all saw doom was like shit we can make something like that and made what at the time all got referred to as doom clones so halo's not a doom clone is it no but they had a game before halo ah oh yeah of course they would have yeah there's a great video When it also comes to talking about Doom clones, I do feel we have to talk about how many times Doom was ported. Every machine in the 90s had its own version of Doom. Some worse than others. Like I said, my first experience of it was the PlayStation 1 version, which is considered one of the better ports. Doom 64 is a completely different fucking game. 
It's actually more closer to the Quake engine than it is the Doom engine. But I do have to have a quick word about the Sega 32X version. One of the awful versions, but also has the worst soundtrack of any version of Doom. Is that the one where, like, it sounds like farts? Mother of God, it's all toilet sounds. The entire playlist is built on the Mega Drive's most fartiest of synths. It was kind of funny, because, you know, the Doom soundtrack's supposed to be, like, badass, it's heavy metal, and then you've got... Not so much heavy metal as it is heavy dinner. <laughs> Looking at this game as a whole then, what do you take away from your time with Doom? So for one, really made me had a look at myself and the nature of human beings. Mm-hmm. Why are we like drawn to stuff that's really violent and horrible? I mean, I found a new thing out about myself while playing Doom. Another thing I found really interesting was how Doom portrays the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Doom guy going through hell is kind of reflective of the common view that most human beings have that our souls go somewhere else when we die. Mm-hmm. So like whether it's like going to heaven or hell or reincarnation or whatever, it all stems back to religion. This whole if you do bad things you're going to hell was quite a good way of policing people. <laughs> before policing was a thing Mm -hmm. so we have come up with a lot of nightmarish things that could happen to us if we are bad after we die Mm -hmm. there's a fear of death because of that because we don't know what's going to happen to us and there's no way of going back it's citing hell is like just another dimension that you can leave you have to fight your way out but you can escape it it's quite reflective of like human nature that if you're big and bad and strong enough you can escape it you can prevail over death you can definitely see it has the influence of if you can go back to something like dante's inferno which is about someone going through hell and back yeah the idea of conquering hell is probably the most purest example of the hero's journey exemplified where you are someone who's fought something that is so inescapable that you've managed to escape yeah you're that strong that you can overcome such supernatural evil with doom guy you don't actually know who he is no like when you're playing it you don't know him you don't know if this is his hell or whether he's that fucked in the head that it's kind of like his heaven before i knew that he was was a loving father to Daisy the pet rabbit and had friends that he went into and punched his superior officer for forcing him to open fire on civilians. When you're just playing it and you haven't read the instruction manual, you're not to know. True. But if you remember through my backstory earlier, I never said the character's name. It was always, you're a space marine. You are the doom guy. Yeah. This is supposed to be your L. It actually kind of is. I don't want to be spending my afterlife fighting through demons who are trying to kill and eat me. I don't want to have walls of human faces like the Scooby-Doo movie or something. Yeah, it's my hell, actually. I don't want to go back. Fuck that. So at the end of the day, the way that the hell is portrayed here, they are, as much as they don't have the license for it, they are essentially still aliens. Yeah. Instead of coming from space, which has come from another dimension. It might not even be hell. I think it does kind of plug into the ancient aliens idea. Oh yeah, where like aliens built the pyramids and shit. The idea being that if aliens descended from the heavens to earth and walked among the humans, they'd be portrayed as gods. By the same time, if ancient humans fell into another dimension and saw these fires of 
lava and this torment and fire and wickedness, they would understand that to be some form of afterlife. Mm-hmm. You could well actually the Bible thumpers if you tried hard enough, basically. Yeah, you could. But <laughs> I'm not here to do. I'm not we're, here. Yeah, we're not going to do that. I completely take this game as just being a work of fiction. I do think that Carmack put it best that any plot analysis of this game is expected to be there, but it's not important. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, they wanted to make a game where you got to shoot monsters. And feel like a badass. And that's exactly what they gave you. Yes. I kind of want to do some reading stories, but admittedly, I put the call out on Twitter, but I didn't get anyone emailing me or writing in about Dim Sadly. So I have slightly cheated here and went to Reddit where I've started posting under the name Starter Quest. And I did reach out to people on the R Doom subreddit. So we got You Should Eat Bean who wrote in with, I didn't play the game back when it was released, but you know it's an incredible game when even someone like me who was born over a decade after the release plays the game regularly. Even by today's standards, despite the primitive graphics, the visual style still holds up incredibly well due to its unique visual identity. The gameplay feels incredibly fast and responsive and has some of the best feeling guns to use in any video game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think one of the reasons why this game still has such a primal feel of what first-person shooter games should be is because the guns and the gameplay is so incredibly responsive. You have these guns that just explode in your ear and make you feel that no matter what noise the enemies are making, you are going to make one that's going to make it all feel better for you. (laughs) No matter how big and scary the demons are, you are bigger, you are scarier. He writes on that, The controversy that the Doom franchise has faced has been endless and still going on even to this day, even though it's on a much smaller scale. From the claims that video games cause violence to feminists saying that it encourages toxic masculinity. Doom has seen it all, and yet nothing has been able to stop this incredible game franchise that will be remembered for many more years to come. It was something we didn't talk about the controversy. I think it was Anita Sarkeesian had a big point about how the Doom franchise has given a lot to toxic masculinity. Yeah, in what way? That you are supposed to be this manly man with a big scary gun and I'm going to go in and show all these big bad people what's for. I I don't think it's right to have the whole thing about women in Doom. I think that's the wrong conversation, but I do think it is fair to point out that Doom Guy is this high machismo, idealistic concept of manhood. Yeah. I can understand why like, she might say that, considering that you're a man, video games are mostly made for men, especially these kind of violent FPS shooter type things. But you are a woman. How did you feel about playing Doom? I didn't feel excluded. As much as it would have been kind of cool if you could be Doom Girl, that would have been pretty cool. But at the end of the day, it's just a video game. The reason why I don't get this in regards to Doom is that I don't feel that Doom Guy could have been Doom Girl or Doom Thing or Doom whatever. And it wouldn't have really made much of a difference because I think that it's a bit hard for me to say this because I am a man. But would you agree that the Doom fantasy it's feeding is easily accessible to women, I would say? I would say so, yeah. It is Doom Guy because it's a big, bad game for men who'd feel a lot more comfortable being in the shoes of like a doom guy than a doom girl at least at that time i would say otherwise i felt no issue with playing lara croft and tomb raider Mm, that's true and being this woman who would just kill everything from the dandelions upwards with two guns that's very true i'm not absolving it of saying that it has no input with toxic masculinity i mean we've brushed on that a little bit we have absolutely in this episode 
but I don't think it's the worst offender. Duke Nukem goes much further than this. But what I will say is that in university, you do a lot of stuff about feminism. You talk about it quite a bit. And genuinely, like, there's so many other things that contribute or cause toxic masculinity. And I don't know if Doom is up there. I'll be honest. I am a bit of a feminist. I'm happy to call out things when it's bullshit, but like, all I'm saying is I think there's definitely worse. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for writing that in. I do think it does actually give us a lot more to take away of understanding why Doom can go through all this and still stand strong. Yeah. Eat shit, Hellspawn! Let's round this out and we'll go through the three gens. For our last gen, did the game live up to your expectations? And has playing this game helped you understand any references to the game you've seen? It surpassed my expectations in a lot of ways. I wasn't expecting to enjoy the game as much as I did. It surpassed my expectations of your expectations. (laughs) Mostly the exhilaration of being able to actually beat the game is mainly the reason. Because I don't think enjoy is quite the right word. Weirdly, as lauded as this game is, our friend group and family and everything haven't really mentioned it that much. I'd admit, before we did this episode, Doom's just something in my head that's like, oh yeah, I played it, I liked it, but i played better since. Because it's so seminal in the history of the first-person shooter, it's very, very easy to put it to the back of your mind and think of games that built on this formula. Yeah. And we're going to look at some of those games going forward, but getting your hands on Doom again, I think, just reminds you as to why the first-person shooter genre took off is because this was such a classic. I mean, there are a lot of Doom clones for a reason. For current gen, do you feel it holds up as a classic? Is there anything in the game that didn't work for you? I think it does. It absolutely does for a whole lot of different ways. Mostly by like the style of gameplay. The controls are actually very satisfying and accessible. Mm-hmm. The storytelling is very tight. I don't think it would have done any harm for them to add a little bit more of Tom Holt's stuff, but I can understand, well, how feasible is this actually to add all of this? I don't think it was Tom Holt to program all of it at the end of the day, right? True, he wasn't adding the stuff into the game and he was relying on other people to put his stuff in. And when the head of the company is saying that your story doesn't matter, it's hard for you to argue that it should. Apart from that, um... A whole bunch of the mazes were really frustrating. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of mazes. <laughs> At the same time, I know that that's a great way to get across the idea of hell in storytelling is to make your gameplay fucking hellish as well. Wolfenstein 3D was much worse. Because mm-hmm. every corridor and every room looked the same. You got turned around and lost incredibly easy. Yeah. They've tried with Doom to make that less of a problem. They've gave you a map and the rooms can now change in size to make you feel like you're in a different area and you're going upstairs and going downstairs and mm-hmm. going around this whole base. They've really tried to make it quite visually different as much as they can. Yet that boxiness to the design isn't going away anytime soon. For next gen, would you recommend it to a newcomer? And are you interested to play any other games in the franchise and Are you interested in playing other FPS games? Funnily enough, I was talking to my stepdad about Doom. He's a guy who's only really played a handful of games, but he recently tried Grand Theft Auto V and 
really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. He liked the old shooting folk and stealing cars and just the stupid things you can do in that kind of game. Mm -hmm. I think that someone who likes that kind of gaming would get an awful lot out of Doom because of how satisfying the controls are, your selection of guns, how like you can kill your enemies in just these like various ways and explode into like giblets and blood and guts and everything. If that's the kind of gameplay you like, you'll have a lot of fun. But if your kind of gameplay is Life Sims, Candy Crush, Tetris, this is not going to be your thing. You say that, but that's also, you are the Life Sims, Candy Crush gamer, and you've played this and got a lot out of it. Well, in that case, I mean, it's always worth a try. Highly recommend it to new players in any Mm -hmm. case. I do want to see what other FPS shooters do. There's quite a few of those I'd like to play, but... I probably won't play any of the other Doom games anyway, unless I get requested to. We play games to relax, and there's nothing really all that relaxing about being swarmed by a whole bunch of barons of hell and stuff who want to kill you. It's not what I look for in a video game. That's quite understandable, and admittedly, when it comes to the Doom franchise, I'm not the biggest fan of Dooms 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. The reboot Doom, though, absolutely love that, and it does plug into what made the first Doom brilliant. We talked about this very briefly in the first half, the mod Brutal Doom does put so much energy into the original Doom. I know we made fun of the guy for his really bad taunts, but there is no overlooking how an amazing accomplishment it is to build Doom with these better graphics, better weapon choices, more gory gameplay, more intense gameplay. It is an incredible mod, I'll give him that. But it's also sharpened a lot of the details to it in a way that I don't think I could play it. We'll see how you get on with future FPSs on this podcast. Yeah. Going forward, though, let's announce our next game. I think we could all do something a lot lighter with less blood and guts, though has seemingly been spawned from an equally weird place in the creator's mind. For our next episode, we're going to be sticking a Mario Mushroom into our NES to play our first Super NES game and run back to the safety of Mother with Earthbound. Yay! Please, this time, don't leave me hanging with stories for Earthbound. If you've played it and want to share your experiences, your thoughts, if you liked it, if you hated it, or anything about the Earthbound franchise that you'd like to hear me read out, please send your emails to startaquest at gmail.com or reach out to me at, at startaquest with a DM or with something under the hashtag start a quest, and we'll try and share your knowledge and experience of Earthbound with Jen. For now, thank you very much for listening to our episode. We are always receiving feedback and points of improvement, and we love hearing everyone's opinions, so reach out to me at that Twitter page and have a chat with me. I'll happily chat with you with how you're getting on with our podcast and how we're doing with our future episodes. You can also find Jen at her website, jenhughesreiser.com If you want to find out what she's been up to, it's the easiest place to find her. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Jen Hughes Writing, and on Instagram as Jen Hughes Writing. Yes, yes, of course. I also like to thank Evil Horde for this episode's theme, Hangar Mageddon, part of the Dark Side of Phobos album available at ocremix.org. Until next time, we'll be scoffing down a name snack of our choosing. It's a goodbye from me, Alessandro. And me, Jen. Quest completed!
Because I'm not afraid of a challenge, like that time I outfarted Michael Moore. <laughs>